Hello, friends. Good to be back. Uh, I know I said last time when I was up here that I normally share uh, life updates, um, but that one will be coming later, so stay tuned on my current life update for you guys. I know everyone's pretty eager. Um, my name's Cole, if we haven't met. I have the pleasure of getting to work on staff here, and to start off the sermon, I want you to, I want you to think about something that I'm about to tell you but I don't want you to Google what it is, okay? All right. What I want you to think about is something called a lasula. It is an animal. Uh, and I want you to try and imagine what it is. It has no feathers, it has no horns, and it has no stomach pouch. I want you to try and take a second and think if you can picture in your mind what a lasula looks like. All right, I'll relieve. Hey, hit the, hit the slide. Yeah, we got a picture of it. It's a monkey. It's a type of monkey. Isn't that crazy? So that is a lasula. I'm going to say it's probably not what you were thinking of based off the descriptions that I gave you. What did, I do, what did I do wrong in giving you the descriptions of a lasula? Well, I only told you some of the features that a lasula doesn't have. I didn't tell you the features that it actually does have. Knowing what a lasula doesn't have is definitely helpful in us knowing what it looks like. But we also need to know the things that it does have if we want to properly know what a lasula looks like. So here's why lasulas are relevant um, in this sermon tonight. I think that the ditch or, you know, kind of the way of thinking we can fall into in our Christian life is we can think of what the Christian life looks like in the same way that I tried to get you to know what a lasula looks like. And what I mean by that is we often know the things that we shouldn't be doing, and those are important things to know. But we don't often know about the things that we are actually freed to do. Right? So we talk about freedom from sin a lot um, in Christianity. We talk about freedom from sin a lot in the New Testament. It's something that Jesus came and did for us when he died on the cross for everyone who would believe in him. And that is a beautiful and glorious truth, but that is an especially beautiful and an especially glorious truth because of what Jesus has freed us from sin to finally do. It's beautiful because of what we have been freed to do. And we talked last week about what things that we will be, or what things that as Christians that we should be taking off, aka sin, but now in Colossians 3, 12 through 17, which is where we'll be tonight if you guys want to flip there or write that down in your little notepads, Paul is going to shift into what things we are to put on. And the kind of idea that Paul is going to give to us tonight, it's a very practical sermon, is that God's people are to live like they are God's people. In other words, God's people should look like God's people. People, the problem is that oftentimes, if we're honest, we don't actually know what 
that specifically looks like outside of some Christian buzzwords that if we are also being honest, we might not be able to properly define if we had to. To say what the Christian life looks like. These words, they sound good, but we don't actually know what they actually mean for our day-to-day lives. And Paul is going to answer the question of what it looks like to live as God's people. And he's going to tell us three things that God's people need to know in order to live like God's people. And so, like I said, we're going to be in Colossians 3 tonight. We are going to be starting in verse 12. So you guys ready for this? Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. All right, let's stop there. We'll start um, as we're talking about what it actually looks like to be God's people, to look like God's people. What we need to see here is that everything that Paul is about to say is entirely contingent on what he opens up this section of his letter with. He says, if you are God's people, if you are chosen, if you are holy, if you are dearly loved, then everything that follows is true. Everything he is about to say is contingent upon these adjectives that he opens up with. They're all adjectives used to describe us as Christians, things that he says are true about you if you are in Christ. But even deeper, more than just being words to describe you, these are things that are absolutely true about us the moment we come to faith in Christ. The reality is that these things that Paul is opening up this little part of his exhortation with, their identity statements. They're things that Paul says define you as a person. This is who you are. And that's the first thing that God's people need to know in order to actually live as God's people. Is God's people, they need to know their identity. And Hamby talked about the identity we have in Christ quite a bit last week. And Paul is bringing it up again. Why? Because I think what's true is that everything that we do oftentimes, is a direct outflow of what we perceive our identity to be. So a relevant example of this in my life, um, I told you I'll give you my life update. So I, uh, a couple weeks ago, became a girl dad. We have a picture. This is my, my new puppy, Zoe. She's a golden retriever. She was born August 4th. It's a lot of fun having a puppy. It's very chaotic. Um, She's a great dog. I love her a lot. Uh, So when any of my other friends would get dogs, I was always kind of like the psycho crazy uncle whenever we would go over to their place. And I would just kind of like go nuts and try and get them riled up. And then I would like leave. And I never had to deal with any of the consequences. I never had to deal with any of that. But now that I'm a girl dad and think about my own dog naturally differently because I care about how our dog is being trained. I care about the grown, you know, woman dog that she grows up to be. Um, I want her to be trained up to be a good dog. So the role that I'm in changed the way that I look at Zoe because no longer am I just a crazy uncle. Now I am the dog owner, right? So I have to train up. So that changes the way that I Act. Being a dog owner means I act like a dog owner. And here is why that part of identity is important for us to know. It's because there are tons of things 
that we are constantly being told your identity is in this. Your identity is in this. We've said that from stage before. It's no surprise for us to hear that. But we're told that our identity is in being a student, right? So like you should get good grades so you can set yourself up for lifelong success, get that job, get that house. Um, we're told that our identity is in our political affiliation or our sexuality or our careers or our likability or our Enneagram type. You know, that's, I don't know if people still do that, but that was a pretty popular one a couple years ago. Um, but Paul just said in verse 11 that the identity of the Christian is only found in Christ. And to find your identity in anything else isn't Christian. That's not what God has called you to. And so Paul is opening up with these words because it is crucial that we get that as the motivation for what he is about to say about the things that we as God's people should be putting on. But Paul says a few things are true about us. So I kind of want to spend some time and just think about that. So Paul says that you are chosen. Do you know what that means, that you are chosen? Ephesians 1, 3 through 5, another letter of Paul's. Paul writes, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. If you're a Christian, you didn't just like stumble upon Jesus, right? You, you're not a Christian because you live in America and there are churches everywhere, and so how could you not be a Christian? You are, didn't get saved because grace made sense to you. You belong to God because God intentionally chose you to be his. He did it purposefully. Before any of creation existed, God chose you. And isn't that the most, like, humbling, awe-inspiring thing we could hear as finite people that the creator of all things said you? To spend eternity with you forever in his glory? And so because you are chosen, because that thing is true about you, then you are also holy. And we know the good Christian answer is that holiness, you know, is to be set apart um, from everything else. But holiness is not just to be set apart in the things that we don't do, but in the things that we actually can do. More than anything, it's in the things that we can do. Because for the first time in our lives, when we get saved, we are able to put on the clothes of righteousness, which we'll talk about later. But in other words, we are actually able to live like Jesus. Because that's what God does in us. And not only are you chosen and holy, but you are also dearly loved by God. Do you think about that often? Like, do you dwell on the fact that God loves you? If it's, you know, 1 a.m. and you're 
driving alone and you're kind of sad and you're kind of lonely and you're listening to Lainey. Do you think about the fact that God loves you? I'm serious because I think a lot of times we know that that's maybe true, but I don't know if we understand the weight that that statement has. And I think that if we did, man, I'm kind of getting goosebumps just thinking about it. That would just be so good. When was the last time that you were comforted by the fact that the king of the universe loves you? If we spent time journaling about these three things and what they meant for us, what do you think our lives would look like? That if you're in Christ, you are chosen and you are holy and you are not just loved, but dearly loved. Or what if instead of journaling, if you're not a journaler, what if we just went for a walk and we just prayed through these things? You just found a good trail. You said, all right, I'm just going to go for an hour and I'm not going to listen to any podcasts. I'm not going to listen to any music. I'm just going to talk to my God. What would we be like if we truly understood the value of these identity statements? If it really sunk into us, what they mean for us. Paul says that in everything that he's about to say, this reality that he opens up with cannot be separated from it. This is crucial to where Paul is going. We need to know our identity, but let's continue on. Um, we're just going to reread that first little chunk of verse 12 because I cut us kind of off there. But um, Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. And above all, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity. So Paul just got done reminding us of what our identity is, and earlier in chapter 3, we are told to take off that old self because that is not who you are anymore, which carries that idea of taking off the old clothing. And now Paul is saying what it is that we are to be putting on to replace it. What have we been freed to do? Paul is telling us what our new clothing is, a.k.a., Paul is telling us what it looks like for God's people to look like God's people. So as I was kind of thinking about this, one of the things I thought of was I did cross-country in high school. And uh, my senior year of high school, I, uh, <laughs> there, so we'd be like walking out for practice, you know, and we'd do our warm-ups, and then, you know, you do your practice. But every, every, week, every day what would happen was we'd get done, and then a little bit later we'd see kind of round in this corner this dude just running in some Wrangler jeans um, for cross-country practice, some Wrangler blue jeans and like a white T-shirt. His name was Teddy. This was Teddy's cross-country outfit. And the rest of us were just running in some like rinky-dinky rag clothes that we had, but Teddy, Teddy loved the Wranglers. Um, so the shock, obviously, of what Teddy was doing was that he wasn't dressed like a cross-country runner. He wasn't dressed like the thing that he 
was doing, the way that Teddy was dressed was inconsistent with what he was doing. And here's what Paul is saying here, and that's the second thing we need to know to live as God's people, is that God's people need to know their clothing. Which, sorry if that's a little cheesy, that was the best I could come up with. Um, so, you know, if you have a better idea, let me know afterwards of how to word it. But, so, what, so this isn't some uniform that you wear to be a part of the family of God, to earn your, like, entrance into the family of God. These are characteristics that Jesus displayed that we are now able to model him in. Right? Jesus freed us that we could live like him. That was one of the aspects of being freed by him because our new life is in Christ. Paul is saying that if you are in Christ, then this is what you've been freed from sin to do. You ready? To be compassionate. You've been freed from sin to be compassionate, truly compassionate, to walk with other people and their suffering just like Jesus did. And you have been freed to be kind, to be friendly towards others in unsuspecting ways that the rest of the world isn't, but that Jesus was. You've been freed from sin to be humble, to think about yourselves less, not to think less about yourselves, but to think about yourselves less and to think about others more. You have been freed to be gentle, which Merriam-Webster, and I love this definition, defines as to be free from harshness, sternness, or violence. And I love that they added that to be gentle is to be free from those things. Isn't that kind of cool? You've been freed to be gentle. And you have been freed from sin to be patient and merciful and loving because Christ is patient and he is merciful and he is loving towards us. To put on the clothes of righteousness is to live in the freedom that you now have to be like Jesus. That's what that means, to put on those clothes. And isn't it fascinating that every single thing that Paul lists here, that we have been freed to do, they are done for the purpose of building up the church and for caring for one another? Isn't it fascinating that every single one of these things is like an outward, an outward clo- act of clothing? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's something that goes towards other people. They're outward focused because Jesus cares for each and every blood-bought child of his, and he invites us to do the same. And he freed us, and now we can do that. A practical application of that, because... Paul says a lot of things here, right? And the sermon would be like three hours long if I went through each one of those things. And none of us want to hear me talk for three hours. So a practical application of this for you guys um, is you guys should take some time this week over like the next week and just write down these things that Paul says we're to put on and then just try to actually define them. Like what that would look like for you to put on that clothing. Because what I think happens is that sometimes we read little statements like this and it just bounces off of us because we're like, yeah, I know what kindness is. I know what gentleness is. I know what humility is. I know what all these things are. But God wants us to understand what he's saying to us here. 
then I think he's actually inviting us to dwell in them a little bit. And so to put my money where my, where my mouth is, that's kind of what I did to start this sermon was I just like wrote out all these, all these things. And, I do, and what that looked like for me this week was I was really struck by the idea of forgiveness. Right? Because Paul says, you are to forgive others just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. And does anybody else struggle with that sometimes? To like truly forgive? Maybe you don't, but maybe you can relate to some of what I'm, what I'm thinking is, so someone like says something out of anger towards you that's totally uncalled for and it stings, or someone does something that really seriously wrongs you, what does it actually mean to forgive that person? Because as I was meditating on it, there are two things that I think I'm tempted to do. Number one, I'm tempted to minimize the wrong and to just say it's not a big deal. And sometimes it really isn't a big deal. I'm just overreacting. But sometimes it is a big deal. Right? Like someone, sometimes someone really does truly sin against you. So the first thing I'm tempted to do is to minimize the wrong. And the second thing I'm tempted to do is to forgive conditionally. So to like forgive someone strictly on the condition that they don't wrong me again. But if they do wrong me again, then like all that anger and frustration that I had just boils back up and it's just as bad as it was before. The problem with that first thing that I'm tempted to do, right, that like minimizing it is what'll happen is I'll just say it's not a big deal, I'll stop thinking about it, and it'll be like, I'll be going to bed, I'll be half asleep, and then I'll just remember it, <laughs> and I'll get like really mad again, and I'll have to be like, all right, I'm, you know, just got to stop thinking about it, but now I'm thinking about it again, and now I'm getting worked up again, and now I'm like awake, and now I'm getting frustrated because I'm awake, you know, and it just like builds up, and that bitterness builds up, because I didn't actually properly deal with it in the first place. And the problem with the second thing, that conditional forgiveness, is that that's not true forgiveness. That's just kicking the can down the road. You know what I'm saying? To forgive someone conditionally? Because Paul says that we are to model Christ's forgiveness. And Christ's forgiveness, Jesus' forgiveness of us, was an unconditional cancellation of debt that cost him his life. We are free to acknowledge sin, but as people who have been forgiven by this like massive, massive debt of our sin against a perfect God who loves us and who cares for us, as people who have been forgiven for that sin through the blood of Christ, we are called to be people who are more gripped by mercy than our own vindication. Because God often says, I desire mercy not sacrifice. And because we know that in the end, God's going to sort everything out. So as I was meditating on forgiveness this week, that's what I was struck by. And that was just like one of the things. I think that you guys would get a lot out of it if you just broke this down. Each one of these things Paul's saying here. And just wrote down what that actually looks like for you. To practically put that on to think about what it is that God's inviting us to put on. I think that's so cool. So let's continue on, um, verse 15 through 17. Paul continues. He says, 
And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Paul switches from saying the things that we should put on to now saying the things that we should just let Jesus do in us. Right? He says, let the peace of Christ to which you have been called rule your heart. And isn't that interesting? It's almost as if maybe, hypothetically, possibly, we are people who sometimes have a hard time experiencing peace on our own. It's almost as though we are people who are sometimes, maybe, possibly prone to feeling anxious and feeling uncertain about the future and feeling uncertain about things that we don't have clarity on. It's almost like that was maybe true about our lives, and Jesus, in response to that, wants to just give us his peace. Paul says, let him do that. What things make it difficult for us to let Jesus give us this peace? When we're stressed, when we're anxious, when we're uncertain, whatever that thing is that causes you to stress. Do we spend too much time dwelling on things we can't control? Um, do we have a hard time trusting that God, who is in control of everything, do we have a hard time trusting that he's actually good? And that the things that he is working on, that not, not a single thing that happens, happens outside of his will? Do we have a hard time trusting that? Christians are people who have been called to experience a transcendent peace that is grounded in Christ. Paul says to let it rule your hearts. And Paul also says to let the word of Christ dwell richly in us. God wants us to go deep with him in his word. And we harp on that a lot up here when we talk about the importance of like reading our Bibles because the Bible harps on it a lot. It says, God, your word is beautiful. And God doesn't just want his word to dwell with us, but to dwell richly with us, like beautifully and fully and as he intended it to be. And all we have to do is just let it happen. The word teaches us, it corrects us, it draws us closer to one another, and it grows our hearts in thankfulness as we see the God who loves us enough to communicate with us. So the question then is how do we actually let that happen? Because in some sense, that almost sounds dumb for me to just say that to you, to just let that happen. And I think really simply, we need to know our Lord. We need to know who he is. And that's the third thing that God's people need to know, is God's people need to know their Lord. And here's why I say that. How can you let the peace of Christ, the peace of Jesus, rule your life if you don't actually know what the peace of Jesus looked like in his own life? If you haven't spent time meditating on 
the story, when the storm is coming, when they're in the boat, in the sea, and all of his disciples are freaking out, and Jesus is just like taking a nap. How can you know what the peace of Jesus means if you've never seen him display it? Or how can we let the word of Christ dwell richly among us and experience the fruit of that if we don't actually know what it is that his word says to begin with, if it's not dwelling with us? It's just like bouncing off of us as we hear it. What Paul is saying here is this. We are invited into knowing Christ so deeply and so intimately that it affects every single area of our lives. Not just knowing things about Jesus academically, but knowing him intimately. Having dwelt with him, having spent time thinking about him, having spent time in prayer to him. And that's what Paul is getting at when in verse 17, he says that every single thing that we do, we should do it in the name of Jesus and give thanks to God our Father that we are even able to do that. Here's what I love about that particular verse when Paul says, and whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Here's what I love about that. Is that we are being told that if we know who we are in Christ, and if we put on these clothes of righteousness that he has for us, and if we let, if we just let Jesus do his thing in our hearts, instead of getting so caught up in things that he hasn't said to us, then we're going to see that everything we do in our lives can be done for the glory of God and to honor him. Everything. Not just some things. The Christian life isn't defined by a few big acts of faithfulness, but by millions and millions of little acts of faithfulness that are done with a heart that just wants to honor God. That's what our Christian life is. So you know what? If you're brushing your teeth tonight, but you should brush your teeth tonight. Thank God that there is toothpaste. I mean, seriously. We're thankful for that, right? God gave us that as a gift. It might look like for you to honor him, it's just saying, God, thank you for that. Or if you're going for a run, even if you're running in some Wrangler jeans, thank him that you have legs that work to do that. Or if you're enjoying time with your friends, thank him that he has given us such a great community to enjoy. Of people who point us to Jesus. Because that's what Paul says, is giving thanks to God the Father through Christ. And if you're going to your job tomorrow, if you're going to your class tomorrow, or if you're going to your internship next summer and you're like, 30 years younger than everybody else who's in the office and you're unsure of what it actually looks like for you to be a Christian there, just ask God to open up opportunities for you to make much of his name there. And ask God to lead you to do something that matters for eternity that day. And if you do that, God will do his thing. 
That's what it means. That in every single thing that we do, to do it in the name of Jesus. The beauty of putting on the new self, what Paul is getting at here, is that it's actually the most practical thing in the world for us. It's an invitation to live like Christ, which we have been freed to do. It's an invitation to know and reflect the God that you have been united to through Christ when he died and rose from the dead for you, if you believe in him. And if you don't believe in him, I mean, come on. This is the best news in the entire world. And you are being invited into a life of freedom. That's some pretty good news for us. Will you guys pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for um, how good you've been to us, God. Thank you that the Christian life is simultaneously the like most simple thing that we would trust you and follow you and love you and then act accordingly. But at the same time, that it's also like the most transcendently good thing that's beyond what we could understand that you would save us and draw us to know you. Um, man, Jesus, we just pray that you would remind us of who we are in you tonight. And that if there's anybody who doesn't know you tonight, that they would come to know you for the first time. Um, that you would remind us that we are chosen and holy and loved. And God, I pray that you would show us what it means to put on the clothes of righteousness, that we might enjoy you and delight in you and live in the freedom that you have invited us to, to live like Christ. And God, we also pray, I think more than anything, that you would just show us more of yourself, that you would show us our Lord. And Jesus, that that would lead our hearts to worship as we just know you more and more and go deeper and deeper with you than, you ever, than we ever knew we could. So God, lead us in worship right now. Lead us in worship when we go home. Continue to lead us, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.